We're going to turn to God's Word for a few moments and to the book of 1 Peter, uh, carrying on where we were last week in 1 Peter chapter 1. And uh, I'm going to do something a little bit different to start with. Well, not different, because we are going to read God's word. But um, sometimes we need to hear it in a different way. And so I'm going to use the message translation this morning. And I know, it, uh, and I'm one of them, that there are parts of the message that make me cringe. There are other parts that... Uh, I enjoy because they just simply give a fresh perspective on God's word and they make it very real and alive. And uh, I read this passage, 1 Peter 1, 13 through to chapter 2, verse 3 in the message and I felt, yes, we need to hear this. You may want to follow it in your NIV or your ESV or whatever you've got this morning. And, uh, but, and I hope you can receive something from this. And so we read from 1 Peter, uh, chapter 1. So roll up your sleeves, put your mind in gear, be totally ready to receive the gift that's coming when Jesus arrives. Don't lazily slip back into those old grooves of evil doing just what you feel like doing. You didn't know any better then. You do now. As obedient children, let yourselves be pulled into a way of life shaped by God's life, a life energetic and blazing with holiness. God said, I am holy. You be holy. You called out to God for help, and he helps. He's a good father that way. But don't forget, he's also a responsible father and won't let you get by with sloppy living. Your life is a journey. You must travel, travel with a deep consciousness of God. It costs God plenty to get you out of that dead-end, empty-headed life that you grew up in. He paid with Christ's sacred blood, you know. He died like an unblemished, sacrificial lamb. And that was no afterthought. Even though it was only lately, at the end of the ages, become public knowledge. God always knew he was going to do this for you. It's because of his sacrificed Messiah, whom God then raised from the dead and glorified, that you trust God that you know you have a future in God. Now that you've cleaned up your lives by following the truth, love one another as if your lives depended on it. Your new life is not like your old life. Your old birth came from human desire. Your new birth comes from God's living word. Just think, a life conceived by God himself that's what the, why the prophet said, the old life is like grass, its beauty is short-lived as wild flowers. Grass dries up, flowers droop, God's word goes on and on forever. 
This is the word that conceived the new life in you. So clean up your house. Make a clean sweep of malice and pretense, envy and hurtful talk. You've had a taste of God. Like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk. Then you'll grow up mature and whole in God. Thanks be to God for his word to us. And thanks be to God for those who can bring it alive in different ways and in different readings. Eighteen years ago, I made a decision that had far-reaching personal consequences. It was a decision that I argued over long and hard, debating the pros and cons. There was a very real cost in this decision. Time. Could I spare it? Money. Could I afford it? Physical effort. Could I do it? Commitment. Could I stick with it? All questions that I had to ask. But one Monday morning in June 2000, I climbed the stairs nervously, introduced myself and listened attentively to the preliminary talk and eventually signed on the dotted line. I was now a fully paid up member of a fitness club. <laughs> In joining a gym, I very quickly made an interesting discovery. That being a fully paid up member of a fitness club didn't automatically make you fit. You had to work hard for it. You see, in my naivety, I thought that it was just turning up, wandering around doing a bit of posing on the machines, and I would quickly have one of those muscular bodies that uh, you saw adorning all the advertisements. How wrong can I be? After a few pathetic efforts, I began to realise that there was more to this fitness lark than meets the eye. There was in it an attitude to cultivate. There was a sacrifice to motivate and there was a life to live differently if I was to achieve what I set out to achieve, want. Peter is writing to a group of believers who have suddenly come face to face with the reality that the privilege of salvation brings responsibility in lifestyle. That faith is sharpened on the anvil of suffering and lived out in a hostile world. That hope is focused on eternal reality but sustained by faithful obedience in the here and now. Peter has first inspired his readers by reminding them of the glorious hope that is there in Christ Jesus. And we looked at that hope last week, there at the beginning of this chapter. But as with all moments of joy, there comes the therefore. The therefore of responsibility. 
And verse 13 begins with the word, therefore. Ask any woman who has ever given birth. The moment of inexpressible joy is more than matched by the irrevocable, therefore, of responsibility. For Peter, the therefore of responsibility begins with an attitude to cultivate. And our attitude can very much change things in our lives. Listen to Peter. Prepare your minds for action, the RSV translates, verse 13. Discipline yourselves, verse 13 in the RSV. Set your hope on the grace to be revealed. Do not conform, verse 14. Be holy, verse 16. Rid yourselves, chapter 2, verse 1. There's something that we have to do. There's an attitude that we have to cultivate. There's a response that we have to make. There's a responsibility that we have to take. The form of Peter's words indicate a clear-cut, decisive action on behalf of his readers. This is something they have to do, and only they can do it. Every time I enter a gym and I've been doing it now for 18 years. I need to go through a process. And that process is very similar to the attitudes I need to cultivate if I am to live differently as a Christian. I need to be focused. I need to prepare my mind. I need to say, this is what I'm going to do today. I need to be disciplined self-controlled, not hive off and read the papers. I need to be prepared for self-denial. I need to make it a priority. I need to be targeted. I need to set my goals and aims. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, fully, completely, not half-hearted, not half-hearted. I need to be separated. Very easy, I could become distracted, yeah. I could meet people, I could converse, I can talk. We can talk all we like about what it's like to be on the treadmill. We can talk all we like about what it is to be exercising. We can talk all we like about what it is to do a class, to Pilates or whatever it might be but I need to separate myself and I need to do it. And I need to be motivated. I need to be motivated to fulfil the fitness regime that I'm committed to follow. I need to be motivated to become godly. I need to be motivated to become holy. I've used the word cultivate because I wanted to express something of the nurture that is involved in developing godly attitudes. They are not something that come overnight. 
Just because I go to a gym, it doesn't mean to say that I can run a four-minute mile. I can't, by the way. <laughs> Just because I go to a gym, it doesn't mean to say that I can do a hundred press-ups immediately. And by the way, I can't. I get to about 20 and that's about my limit. But you see, there's an attitude to cultivate in what we do. There's a sacrifice to motivate. There's one thing that readily motivates me to get on the treadmill at the gym or the cross trainer or whatever it might be. The thought of my monthly subscription going out of my bank account. There's nothing like a financial cost of something to stimulate our participation, is there? For Peter, the stimulus for holy living is not financial, but the shed blood of Jesus Christ at Calvary. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. It's as if Peter is saying, look, think about the cost of your redemption. Think about what it cost God, what it cost Jesus to bring you into a relationship with himself. The one who was chosen before creation to be the Lamb of God. This was no afterthought when everything went pear-shaped in the world. This was always God's plan and God's purpose. One who was revealed in these last days. One who was revealed at the right time. And one who paid for it in blood. His blood, there at the cross of Calvary. All for the purpose of liberating us from a dead end, empty way of life and giving us a living hope that can never perish, spoil or fade kept in heaven. It is almost as if Peter is saying, what further motivation do you need to live differently? What further motivation do you need to change the way you act? It leads on to a life lived differently. Initially, when I joined the gym, I didn't realise how much it would affect my whole outward outlook on life. I thought it was just simply go to the gym, and that was it. But you see, as time went on, I became more aware of my eating habits. I knew if I wanted to remain fit, then I needed to also eat the right things. I became more conscious of my body and certainly a lot more sensitive to my muscles. Peter in this passage gives us some real clues as to what it means to live differently. And for Peter, God becomes the inspiration for all the remoulding of our lives. The call is to be holy as I am holy. Holy. 
On the one hand, this appears to be an impossible standard. How can we be like a holy God? What does practical, down-to-earth holiness mean for you on a Monday morning? We can talk about holiness being separate. We can talk about holiness being different. But what does actually down-to-earth, practical holiness mean to you on a Monday morning when you get up and you go into the office or you go down into the community or you go out to work or recreation or whatever? What does down-to-earth practical holiness mean to me when I go up to David Lloyd's gym? What does it mean? What does it look like? What does it look like? Now, we can become very technical on this whole question of holiness. But what Peter is calling us to is something very practical, something very down-to-earth. He's saying, be holy. Be holy. Don't just talk about it, be it. On the one hand, there is a marvellous simplicity in a holiness patterned on God himself. It doesn't require the memorization of endless directives and prohibitions. It flows from the heart, and its key is love. To be holy is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your entire mind, and to love your neighbour as yourself. And in doing that, we demonstrate the holiness of God. We demonstrate the glory of God. We demonstrate the very presence of God. Because that is who God is. To be holy is to be 100% sold out for God and to live a life of love based upon the sacrificial love that he demonstrated in Jesus Christ, his son. Peter goes on to write in this passage, have sincere love for all. Love one another deeply from the heart. David, does that describe you? I have to be honest and hold my hands up and say, I'm not sure. I can be very fickle in whom I love. I can be very fickle and I can be very um, choosy, if you like. But have sincere love for all. Love one another deeply from the heart. It brings us, doesn't it, to the second part of our strapline. Live for God's glory. Love one another. Make Jesus Christ known. But how is this worked out in action? What does a practical holiness look like? Well, first of all, we're rebels. Do not conform. And at the heart of that, we can bring that word rebel. 
We rebel against the desires that drove our lives before we met Christ. In chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Therefore rid yourselves. Notice who's got to do it. Who's got to do the ridding? Who's got to do the disposal? Who's got to take out the rubbish? We have to do it ourselves. We rebel, malice, unkindness, deceit, dishonesty, hypocrisy, double standards, envy, resentments, slander, insults, character assassinations, finger pointing. All these things we are to rid ourselves of. They are not to be part of our lives. This is what it means to live holy. This is what it means to live a God-fearing life. So instead of malice, we show kindness. So instead of being deceitful, we're honest. So instead of being hypocritical, we are genuine in what we do. Instead of being envious or full of resentment, we accept. We accept that our colleague has got that promotion over and above us. We accept that that person has been blessed in a way that perhaps we wanted to be blessed, but haven't. And we don't point the finger, we compliment. And we say, well done. We don't say, you could have done it better. We compliment them in terms of what they've done. We rebel against the tide. We rebel against the standards of the world. Because the standards of the world say, yes, you can be spiteful. You can be dishonest. You can be two people at once. You can hold on to your resentments. You can be envious. You can point the finger. But we rebel against all of that. It's not part of who we are. It's not part of our holiness and of our walk with God. So not only do we rebel, but we also live. Live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. We live as strangers here. Do you know that you don't belong? You don't belong in this world. This world is not our home. Our citizenship is not here. Our citizenship is in heaven. And we're called to live as strangers here. So that means that we don't get too comfortable. We don't settle down. We don't settle down as people do because if you don't have the hope that Jesus Christ brings... What do you have? All you have is the hope that's around you. All you have is the life that is around you. But we have a greater hope in the Lord Jesus Christ so we don't settle down. Somebody used to say to me years ago, they said, you know, as a Christian, you should always live with your suitcase packed because you never know where God might call you tomorrow. 
and you need to be ready to go. Meaning really, in a sense, you sit loosely. You sit loosely to this world's wealth. You sit loosely to this world's goods. And then you have a right perspective of who God is. Live your life. Live, your, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. Fear is having a right perspective of who God is. Time's going on, but I hope you'll see where I'm going with this. You know that in a previous existence I was farming and I was a pig farmer. And, uh, okay, with pigs, you have lots and lots of pigs and, uh, and that, but I remember just having one very friendly boar, a big, large, white boar, called, used to call him Henry. And uh, he was great, loved him a lot, and uh, if you can love a pig, that is, but uh, <laughs> there, 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 there you are. But Henry was 55 stone. He was a big boar, and he got some good big tusks. Now, I tell you, I could do most things with Henry. I could get him to do, you know, there. He was a big softy at heart. But I'll tell you one thing, I never turned my back on him. I always knew where he was. And I always knew where I could get, a, get out. I never let him to be between me and the gate. You see, there was that reverent fear. And you need to, we, we need that reverent fear with God. We've sung this morning, yes, that he is a good, good father. And yes, he is. He's the best father that any of us could ever have. But he is also our righteous judge. And we forget that at our peril. And that's what it means to live our, our lives in reverent fear, to have a right perspective of who God is. Now, I could go up to Henry and I could tickle him behind the ears, if you like, and I could scratch his back, and he loved it. He loved it. But I also knew that I couldn't get too close there. And so we need to remember that God is our Father, but he's also our judge. And one day, one day we will all stand before him and we will be called to give an account of our lives. Yes, even those of us who are in Christ Jesus, we will be called to do that. And so in this life, we live out our lives in reverent fear. We rebel. We do not conform to the way of this world. We go the wrong way up the escalator or we swim in the opposite direction and we live out our lives. You know, over those 18 years, my gym attendance has been up and down. There have been times when it's been full on and there have been times when I've slackened off. And I probably need to get back on the treadmill now. But that's life, isn't it? And that's our journey. 
in holiness and our journey and our walk with God. But God calls us. He calls us to an alternative lifestyle. A thought to leave with. What will holiness look like to you tomorrow? Where you will be? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the blessings that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, we thank you that you have called us into fellowship with yourself through your Son. And Father, we recognise the cost that you bore on our behalf. And Father, we recognise that you have called us to come and to live a holy life as you are holy. And we pray that by your strength and by the power of the working of your Holy Spirit within us, we might do that to the glory of your name. Amen.